Affect Perspectives, a new podcast from Affect Autism. Welcome to the new podcast from Affect Autism. I'm Daria Brown, and this is Parent Perspectives. This is uh, going to be an addition to the usual podcasts that I do. We're going to have a couple of parent panels coming up in the fall. But what I thought would be something that would be helpful for parents and for practitioners as well is to document some of the things that we talk about at Parent Support. I facilitate ICDL, the International Council on Development and Learning's weekly parent support meeting, which happens on Mondays at 1 p.m., although we are expanding it to have evening sessions as well. You can find out all the dates at affectautism.com under the events tab, or just put slash events. So for the first edition of Parent Perspectives, I wanted to talk about the meeting we had on July 10th, 2023, where we had DIR expert guest psychologist, Dr. Karen Levine, and she was discussing the topic of fears and phobias and anxieties in our kids and how she treats that using humor and play through floor time. And she did a course about this in, I believe it was June. And she will be doing another, repeating the course again in September. And we'll be having a part two that is really just Q&A for people that took part one. So please look for that. Look for the links at affectautism.com associated with this blog post for this podcast. I will put the links. Uh, You can always look at icdl.com slash courses under other courses for Dr. Levine's upcoming course. <clears throat> so this was a great parent support session. We It started with a question from a parent whose child had a lot of trauma from a dental appointment in the past that involved dental surgery, and the child won't even enter the dental office anymore. So Dr. Levine went through her process that was described in a past podcast I did at affectautism.com, Uh, treating fears and phobias in floor time. And uh, in that blog post, you will have access to Dr. Levine's handout that describes this process. So she stressed that you start with what the child can tolerate and what they find funny. So using the child's sense of humor, um, if they think it's funny to put a dental instrument, even just as a pretend spoon, near their mouth and then yelping in a silly way, no, no, I'm scared and taking it away. And they laugh and then start doing that. Just starting with fun, playful interactions that are safe when you are relaxed and not under pressure. And then that, the purpose of this is to change the affect that the child is feeling about the event. Right now they're feeling a lot of fear, anxiety, and we want it to be a more playful approach which takes a lot of time. So you start to give the child control to stop or start the playful process. So we we described that in the podcast with Dr. Levine. Um, then we in the parent support group, we switched topics to haircuts. And Dr. Levine shared a video, which I will put the link to. It is a YouTube clip where a hairdresser lets the child know that if he wants it to stop, he just has to say stop. And it's a child with Downs who has been very, very scared of going to the hairdresser and getting a haircut. So they form this playful relationship where the child goes, stop. And the hairdresser does an overly exaggerated response with lots of affect, like, stop. And then the child laughs 
And then, okay, can I start again? Stop. Oh, stop. And so they're laughing and having a great time. And um, it's just, it's just amazing what you can do when you change things. Take a few seconds and just make the interactions playful. Dr. Levine shared with parents in our parent support group, one of the videos that she will share in her course again at ICDL. And um, just talking about haircuts, how you might start if it's a uh, girl that plays with dolls, I'm doing a stereotype here, um, <clears throat> whatever figures or dolls your child might have, brushing the hair of the doll, making the doll say, no, no, no. Um, maybe using your finger to brush the child's hair. Let's just try brushing one hair taking one little piece of hair and brushing it, uh, just moving in incrementally and making it playful and fun. Um, next, a parent described their child's fear that has become an intense interest in thunderstorms. So they talk about thunderstorms and play with it a lot. And they're wondering how to expand this interest beyond just wondering if there will be thunder every time it rains. So this child was really scared all the time of thunderstorms and the parents started talking about it, being playful about it, sort of following Dr. Levine's methods. But now every time it rains, it's like, is there going to be thunder? Is there going to be thunder? So Dr. Levine mentioned that when you unbundle the phobia, first you have the rumble and you have this loud, deep sound. And then there's, or there's lightning. It might be lightning and then the deep rumble. So start with a, a super playful play around that fear, such as, watching videos of a thunderstorm, adjusting the volume, playing with the fear part of it. Uh, she watched a video with a client where the thunder started and they both screamed, which was hilarious and fun, right? Um, <clears throat> and then they start watching thunderstorms and it becomes this fun experience where they get to scream together. Then they look at the storms together without screaming. And then they wear headphones to get the sound even closer to real life so that the sound is going right into the ear. And the parent um, that asked this question about the thunderstorm said, it's almost like it's the fear of the unknown of it. Like if it's gonna thunder or not, that's where the fear has sort of moved to as opposed to the fear of the sound. It's like, is it gonna thunder or not? And Dr. Levine says that you can do this same kind of play around that by saying with a character and eventually with yourself, oh, is it gonna thunder? Yes or no, yes or no, I don't know, I don't know. And usually when the fear goes away, the uncertainty tends to go away as well. So Dr. Levine said that fear is all about this anticipation. So you might say, oh, was that the last thunder? Is there going to be more to come? I need to know. I need to know. I don't like not knowing. I don't like I don't know. And you're really just um, stating what the child's fear is. And it's just the simplest step that we don't ever do, right? So I stressed to the parents at, at the group that this process is, is the thing that we don't do, acknowledging their fear and anxiety that they are experiencing. So we're either trying to get them to not be scared. Oh, no, it's okay. It's, it's not scary. Don't worry. Or we're walking on eggshells, worried about when their meltdown is going to come. And we're just so scared that um, we avoid things like we try to pretend it's not thundering or take them to a place where they won't hear the thunder. Um <clears throat> instead of simply repeating back, no, I don't want to do it, or no, I don't like it. That's the step that the child needs. So then we play with that feeling in varying degrees from using a puppet or a figure and gradually getting closer and closer to the real experience as a chi child can tolerate it with a new effective experience. So I also referred parents to the two-part 
Praxis podcasts that uh, I did with John Fleckenstein, who's an occupational therapist in Atlanta, and licensed professional counselor Mike Fields, also in Atlanta. They're both DR floor time experts, and they talked about that discomfort with dealing with the unknown. Next, uh, another parent said their 12-year-old is really scared of lawnmowers and leaf blowers. And Dr. Levine said it's probably the startle of the start of the sound, and then also the ongoing sound. So you can play around with both of those. You can make your own videos around these fears too. Play being afraid. When the sound is a huge component of it, you can play the sound on your phone, then you can hide your phone or even have remote speakers and then try and find the sound. So imagine being playful, like, oh, look, I recorded the sound. Oh, it's so scary, it's so scary. I'm gonna hide the phone. And you go hide it under the couch pillows, let's say. And then somehow you play it remotely or what, however you can figure out how to do it or someone else presses play or whatever. And then you're like, where's that sound coming from? Let's go find it and make it a playful game. So you can have the stuffed animals or figures be scared. Like, no, no, don't turn on the sound. No, no, it's too scary. So other great ideas. Another parent asks how to handle that buildup of anxiety for an upcoming appointment. When do you start playing? So Dr. Levine had, you know, it could go either way. So two responses. It's never too early to play through the fears. But in terms of when you tell the kids about the appointment, some kids like to see it on the calendar in advance and they know it's coming while for others, it makes it harder because then they're agonizing about it every day until the appointment. I remember a friend of my son's at school had an appointment at sick kids. I think it was a dental appointment of some kind and just agonizing about it, talking with his mom about it every day, wondering about everything. So for those kinds of kids, you might not want to tell them about it in advance, the actual appointment, but you can still play with the fear and do little play periods where you have time to have fun around that fear, like we've described earlier in this podcast and in the podcast with Dr. Levine. So basically this process is like floor time, but it's with a bit more of an agenda as you do floor time around it. Another parent asked, is it realistic to just eliminate all the fears? Is it more about just letting them know it's okay to be scared and they're safe with you? And Dr. Levine says, you know, we won't likely be able to eliminate all the fear, but we want to make it so they can go through their day more happily. And it's a fun way to play around whatever the fear is because fears can spread and ripple that can build and build. So kids who are fearless have to have every move monitored you know, if you don't want to get to the point where they're fearless, because then if they don't have a fear about, you know, run into the street in front of cars, jump off something that's too high and hurt themselves. So, you know, fear is appropriate, but we're talking about the level of fear and how to deal with it and that discomfort of the anticipation. Another parent parent had the dilemma that their child keeps giving raspberries, which is, you know, <laughs> sort of spitting on um, someone's arm. Uh, or spitting and licking the other parent. And that parent does not like it and reacts angrily and wants the parent, wants the child to stop doing this. So can you play with that reaction of the parent with the child? Dr. Levine said that several kids are afraid of a harsh tone that is given to them, even if it's teachers or um, if it's parents being harsh with you, or if, if it's teachers, but also not even with them, but 
They hear a teacher being harsh with other kids. They'll become afraid of that teacher. Dr. Levine will play with that tone and say the same thing in different tones. So <clears throat> she'll she'll sometimes um, give those different tones labels, like let's say it in a red tone of voice. Get over there right now. I'm just making that up off the top of my head. Let's say it in an orange tone of voice. Get over there right now. Maybe a yellow tone of voice. Get over there right now. And maybe get to a green tone of voice. Oh, let's get over there right now. And so playing with what the child has heard and is in a harsh tone and making the tones less and less harsh, even to the point of being happy or silly. Um, she talks about even jumping on a floor mat with strips of different colors. And when you jump on the, that color, you use that tone of voice. So really getting the body involved, which I thought was an amazing idea. Uh, so let's jump. Oh, we're jumping on the red circle or the red stripe or whatever. Get over there right now. Okay, or jump on the red stripe. Oh, jump on the green stripe, you know, whatever it is. She'll ask the child also, how does the teacher sound when the child yells at the other child in class for kids who are more verbal? Um, and then get some feedback from the kids. Um, even for non-speaking children, you can role play the teacher's firm voice. So to get the child to stop the behavior, you have to figure out why they're doing it. So if they're having this huge fear reaction, is it this sensory need that they're they're um, overwhelmed, or is it um, is it something you can redirect into? some other things. So she's talking now about the example where the child is going <laughs> or spitting on the parent's face and they don't like it. So can we redirect that um, to a sensory need that the child has? Like maybe they have this oral sensory need. Um, can you give them something that they can, you know, mouth? Um, can we redirect it to a hug? Oh, no, no, we're hugging. We're not giving raspberries. Can you give them a popsicle, popsicle to lick while they're interacting with the other parent? So sometimes, uh, Dr. Levine said, when kids realize that that response, that if they're giving the parent a raspberry, um, my we call it a zerbert. I don't know what, what people uh, use different words for that. But if you're going like this and blowing on the, the parent's face um, and the parent doesn't like it, some kids just out of anxiety will keep repeating that response. They'll keep doing the zerbert, even when the response is undesirable to them. It's like this anxious response. So that was that discussion. Um, the next discussion was a parent asked, if you only have access to apply behavioral analysis and you're not doing floor time, you're doing ABA, can you do this as a parent yourself or lean into the parent um, therapist who's supporting you? And Dr. Levine said, it really depends on the therapist because you can certainly explain the gradual exposure aspect in ABA terms and say that you're pairing the fear with positive affect, but it depends how sophisticated the behaviorist is. Some might not understand that importance of the affect. And so as long as you make it concrete and say that you increase this and you decrease that, it'll probably make sense to them. And so we went over all of this at the beginning of the podcast, how to describe what to do. A parent says that, you know, all of this is nice, but some fears don't really have actual pain. It's more like this anxiety and discomfort. 
Whereas others do result in real pain, like having a dental surgery when you really have pain for, you know, a week or whatever, a couple of days. Dr. Levine, Dr. Levine says even sensory experiences can be painful. So you don't want to start thinking that it's a not, not a painful experience because we don't know exactly what our children are feeling. Also, you don't want to get them to smile through um, this painful experience. So if they're scared of vaccines, you, you don't want them going, oh, it's great to get a vaccine, ow, as they're getting the shot. But you want to get them to the point where they can say, ouch, as opposed to being like super anxious and like fighting and screaming. So we want um, to be less anxious about it because the more anxious they're revved up and the more discomfort they'll anticipate. So practice the tactile component of whatever it is. Let's say if it's a vaccine or the dentist or whatever, we talked about a spoon near the mouth with a vaccine, you know, poking their arm gently with an object that doesn't hurt to mimic the act of the shot. Um, I brought up in the podcast with Joanne about praxis. It's the emotional component of sitting in that discomfort that's actually usually tougher than whatever it is that the child fears doing because it's too hard. Another parent's non-speaking three-year-old is afraid of anything they can't control. If a dog or cat walks by and doesn't go where the child wants, if the neighbor's television turns on, if the weed eater suddenly turns on after being off, turns off after being on for a while, um, the car turning in a way that they don't usually drive, everything. It seems like um, this extreme fear that this child has, even if a car turns down their street that they live on and parks, the child screams and cries, signing for the car to leave, and they can't calm down if it stays. This also goes for someone parking at their home or someone coming into their space, including their occupational therapist who came to the home. They couldn't even have the session because the child couldn't calm down and even started trembling when the OT tried to walk up to their home. So this child is not yet in pretend play. They're in the early functional emotional developmental capacities. And Dr. Levine mentioned that this child clearly has a very high baseline anxiety. So she would start by asking, where is the child least anxious and playful? And start there. So do heavy doses of play to bring down that anxiety. You can practice in your own car first. Here comes mommy with her own car. She's going to park in a different spot. And one parent can get the child in the very playful place. And then the other person will park the car and the parent that's with the child will say, no, 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 I don't want the car to park there. No, no, no. You can even make videos of the parent parking the car in different places. And as you're watching the video, you can say, no, no, I don't want that to happen. You can have the parent popping out of the car and going back into the car, popping out of the car, going back into the car. No, get back in the car. And the child goes in and the parent goes in the car. And as you're watching the video, you say, no, come out of the car. And the parent pops out of the car. So it's a little bit funny when you do it in a planned way like that. So start with these very, very, very small increments. Make it a funny game. Give them little, little bits of this experience. You can make videos with people making funny faces while moving the car. Maybe the parent in the video says bye to a puppet. Um, working with parents playfully with these car games and videos of coming and leaving will be easier than the strangers driving the car at first. And so this is this is a way to break down. So the child's scared of strangers driving the car. Okay, let's play with 
someone familiar, the parent driving the car at first and make all these videos and games around that. Fantastic ideas. Another parent shared a success story. So their child is afraid of vacuums, blenders, hand dryers. The parent has tried to be playful with the hand vacuum, especially when the child makes a mess of food on the couch. So they started vacuuming together. And the other day, the parent happened to leave the vacuum on the couch and the child pressed the button on their own. So Dr. Levine said that was awesome. The exposure with the playfulness really helped. The child is now wasn't even scared to touch and turn on the vacuum themselves. So um, she said she has found that sometimes the child does this themselves for the first time. They realize, oh, it's not as scary as I thought. So that's the type of thing we're working towards. Another parent says, what do I do when fear presents as super hyperactivity and overexcitement? Dr. Levine said she treated in the same way. It's just arousal. We want them to be able to interpret that. You can turn it into a chase game if that's fun with a smaller child. It looks like the child is happy and having fun, but you can't tell if they're getting scared. So you want to just start to play around, get to know the cues, make a little bit of a game, slow it down, speed it up, slow it down. Just lots of increments of different uh, types of play around there. Um, let's see. <clears throat> okay. Another play parent said that they got a set of Montessori books and some of them talk about things like getting shampoo in your eye, but the child doesn't follow the story and just wants to look at the page numbers because numbers is a special interest of theirs. So the parents, the child had an issue with getting shampoo in their eye, parent pot a book about it, but the child doesn't seem to care about the topic of the book. They just want to look at the page numbers. So Dr. Levine said the more realistic the props are, the less actual pretending is involved. So sometimes children that aren't in pretend play yet may understand the receptive pretend play. So you can put soap in your figure's eye while they're in the bath and say, oh, oh, and then clean the eye with water and say, oh, that's better. So even though they aren't in pretend play yet, you're showing them through a figure. So that's what she calls receptive pretend play. And then you can even do that yourself. When the child's in the tub, you can get water in your eye and go, ah, ah, I got I got shampoo in my eye. Sorry, uh, soap or shampoo in your eye. Wash it out. Oh, that's better. So again, degrees of exposing the child to their fear in a playful, fun way. Another parent shared that during the pandemic, their non-speaking child got very anxious and confused about not being allowed to go out. So after a long time of not going out and being shut in, again, it was hard. So it could be the bad memory of forcing the child through the door as they didn't know better at the time. But when the child wasn't ready to go through the, the door yet back home, they would sort of force them in. And maybe it was the child was scared that once they were in, they couldn't go out again. But anyway, ever since then, they've tried so many things. Um, and the child is still terrified about going out now. Um, sorry, coming back to the house. So they've tried parking in different spots, entering through the terrace door. Um, they went up the steps instead of the elevator. They're living in a, a high rise and they offered the child snacks as soon as they entered. Um, what actually worked was letting the child watch videos, which was forbidden until then. And then saying, okay, we'll watch videos. So they're sort of bribing the child. Like, okay, if you come in the house, you can watch these videos. And that was enough to calm the child once they started wincing as they approached the place in the car. So slowly, it started becoming a very strong meltdown again 
And now it's more concentrated just at the door. So the parents wondering, what should they do? Should they move? <laughs> Based on the child's mood, it gets amplified or the child might even be used to crying at this point. So maybe they're just doing it as a routine. What do they do? They're lost. Dr. Levine said, yes, this is a tough one. No, you wouldn't want to move because if you just move, it'll happen at the same place or something else will happen there. You're not just going to move every time there's a problem. You want to deal with this problem. The video one is a good one if you can start with something that makes the child really happy and perks them up, she said. So right when you get outside the door, you can do this or pretend play around it. And when you can capture that effective system and shift it to getting excited to do that super fun thing instead of that fear and anxious affective response when they get to the door, shift it to something that's excited and fun and silly, maybe funny sounds the child likes. As soon as you get inside, we'll do more of this. So it's a tool for the transition. It might be breaking out into a different song and dance as you go into the house, or maybe the same song every time that the child likes. So every time you go through the house, you do this super fun song and dance thing. Um, <clears throat> maybe you, you, you all also acknowledge, oh no, I don't want to go home yet. Not yet. Not yet. In the ways that we discussed early in the podcast. Um, she had a great idea too. She said, what if you hang up a different blanket or shirt or something in the doorway that the child likes? each time you come home. So you say, I wonder what's blank, what blanket's going to be hanging in the door today or whatever it is. If it's not a blanket, I wonder what toy is going to be there today waiting for us. So you get the child to be excited about entering the place. So again, it's about shifting the affect before you enter. Another parent told Dr. Levine that after the presentation she did at last year's ICDL conference, they got Dr. Levine's book, they played their way through the haircut fear, and then they took Dr. Levine's course this summer and played their way through brushing teeth, which used to be impossible. So they still can't believe it, but now the child is asking for toothbrush and brushing their own teeth every day. So it went from a least preferred part of the day to one of their favorites. The child still resists the parent brushing their teeth, but at least the child is now in a state of fun and joy, and it made such a difference and the parent thanked Dr. Levine. So that was incredible. So uh, this wraps up our first edition of Parent Perspectives, a recap of our July 17th, 10th, July 10th, uh, parent support meeting that we had through the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning. You can find out more at icdl.com parents under parent support meetings or at affectautism.com under the events tab. I hope that parents will come to the parent support meetings if they're looking for support or interested in floor time. The parent support meeting is only open to parents doing floor time. It is not open to practitioners. We want this to be a space for parents to support each other. However, the first week of every month, we do have one expert um, uh, practitioner that comes on or professional, often a DIR expert training leader, and they answer parent questions like this session was on July 10th where Dr. Levine gave her insights. So um, until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. Thanks so much. Always open to new suggestions and ideas at affectautism at gmail.com. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.